you know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. Nothing is more of a downer to your stoke than facing legal problems, and lawyers have made the whole thing more complicated than that 5-to-1 pulley system you used to haul Uncle Phil up that 5-7 on his birthday. But seriously, facing legal problems and finding a lawyer to help can be pretty gnarly. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Family law, criminal, injury, bankruptcy, and a whole bunch of other arcane things that you never thought would happen to you right up until they did. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, that's, that's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Hey, folks. This episode is also brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, and as usual, our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to defiantbean.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee. All right, let's see if I can get this thing started again. Hello and welcome to the Normo Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. This is episode number 35. It is May 20th, about 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. And on today's show, I have Canadian alpinista Jen Olson. Yep, Canadian's been giving you guys a lot of love lately. A lot of love. But before we get to that, as usual, there's some business to take care of. First of all, I want to give a shout out to our friend in front of the show, Dan Markoff. The guy behind climbinglawyer at gmail.com. He threw a great party last weekend, and the cool thing about it was I got to meet a bunch of fans of the show, which was a lot of fun. Got to climb with a bunch of folks and hang out, listen to some music, drink some beers. Anyway, it was a tremendous honor to meet a bunch of people who were psyched on the show. So hope you guys are listening to this one too. And everybody got home safe and sound from the party. The second bit of business is that we're coming up on episode 40, and if you remember, episode 20 was a listener mail episode. I'd love to do that again. So I've been collecting mail for the last, well, it's been a long time, quite a few months since that one. But if you guys have any questions or comments or you have stories to tell or you have anything else you want to send me an email, I might get on the show. So consider doing that in the next couple months as we roll into episode 40. That's only like two and a half months away based on my calculations. And as usual, you can do that at chris at enormacast.com. 
Next bit of business. As I've been thinking about how to incorporate some of these sponsors into the show without sounding like, you know, some sort of shill, um, I've been trying to think up some bits and I'm kind of working with one. I have this idea for kind of a pro tip section, but I don't want to call it the pro tip. Although there is the obvious lewd pun in there that would be almost irresistible not to reference constantly, as in, if you'd like to take the tip deeper, visit this or that website. But fun with that would run out pretty quickly. So I'm working with some names for this segment, but what I'm looking for is some ideas from you guys, from the listeners, as well as probably from some of my guests and from my own mind's eye about little technique ideas, etiquette ideas, you know, even what to wear. I don't care what it is, as long as it makes everyone's climbing day just a little bit better. So if you have any of those ideas, if you have any little tricks of the trade or little ideas or little pieces of equipment you use in a unique way, then feel free to email me at chris at anormalcast.com. If I use one of your ideas for what right now I'm tentatively calling the Black Diamond Power Nugget, then I will send you some swag from BD, and it'll be better than some stickers. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll probably change up every single time. So think about that. You can also send those to chris at anormalcast.com, and please try to do something unique with that because, you know, if I get some sort of email that's like, hey, man, I got this thing called the scrot sack, and it's like a little bag and like you can make it out of like goat hair or you can make it out of like an old inner tube or something and like you wear it around your waist, maybe like hang it in front of your junk and then like I like to put like dirt in it or man, I like to put like some other type of powder, you know, something that keep your hands dry because like when my hands get sweaty, I stick them in there, dry them off. Man, works really great. Oh shit, I'm doing voices. Last time I did voices I think was the Hayden Kennedy episode where I tried to sound Italian. All right, I don't want to shut down your creativity, but don't send me the idea for the scrot sack because that one's already been done. Moving on. Today's episode is an interview with Jen Olson, Jennifer Olson. Depends on which page subscribe to on Facebook. I've known Jen casually for quite a few years, actually. And of course, that's all it takes for me to beg someone to come on the uh, Enorma cast. Jen hails from Canmore, Alberta. That's one of the 13 provinces. Was it 13 provinces in Canada? But yeah, Jen's from Canmore. She's an alpinist, rock climber, internationally certified mountain guide, one of the few, the proud, the Canadian. And she's also a professional rock climber. We had been trying to do some climbing together for quite a while now, actually, on her frequent trips down to the balmy United States of America to rock climb. And finally, we ended up hooking up, climbed a little bit and rifled together, also down in the Black Canyon, where I helped her get lost a few times on the scenic cruise, which I'd only done, I don't know, six or seven times and still couldn't remember where to go. I was very excited when Jen agreed to come on the mic because she is that rare of rarest climbing species, the female alpinist. So I definitely wanted to pick her brain about what that was all about and also satisfy some fans' yearnings for that sort of thing on the Enorma Cast. So boom, here you go. This is for you. Number seven, st- 
Dormant out of Canada, Jen Olson. come down here and buy guns? I've never looked into it. You'd probably have to declare it and then like it'd be a hassle, but probably be easier to what's the deal with What's the deal with Canada? Can you buy handguns in Canada? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. Because I know that in one of those movies, uh, I think it was Bowling for Columbine, Michael Moore says that there, per capita there's more guns in Canada than the U.S., but you guys don't shoot each other the okay. way we do. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't well, be surprised. I mean, lots of people hunt, and sure, I have hunter friends. I could, they would know, but I don't. Right? Know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's all about the handguns. That's the thing in the states. Right. Like most countries in the world, allow hunters to have some type of hunting, either shotguns or hunting rifles. Right. It's the handguns that we're all into here. So, okay, so uh, welcome to the closet, Jen. <laughs> Thanks. How, how's it going? <laughs> cozy nice um i am sitting in the uh the home studio in the closet with jen olson a canadian alpinist and uh jen and i have actually been climbing for the last couple of days and i finally got her to come in and sit down which was kind of part of the deal you got so, her in the closet yeah got her in the closet so um we went and climbed in the black canyon we went and climbed in rifle and the only place we didn't go in the bromuda triangle is is indian creek so that's too bad. But you just came from the creek. Right. Yeah. So you completed the Bromuda Triangle. Nice. As, uh, I had no idea. Yeah. A couple of my friends started calling it that, the Bromuda Triangle, the Black Canyon Rifle Indian Creek, which is also sort of one of the main themes of the normal cast as well. So Right. The trifecta. Yeah. Um, but we went down and climbed the uh, climbed the scenic cruise, which was your second route in the black, but the first one kind of didn't count. Right. <laughs> what did you do for the first one? Um, buzz cut. In the hairdo gully. Prisoner of your hairdo gully. Yeah. yeah. So kind of an obscure one. I'd never heard of it. It was recommended. Recommended. Was it any good? Yeah, it was pretty good. But it was um, wet. Right. And, um But it was one of the east-facing routes that seemed like easy to bail off of. So that's why I chose mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a shitty shitty weather last week. So you managed to eke one out. But we had a great day. Uh, totally perfect weather. And, you know, we didn't speed right up it, but we didn't do too bad. No. I, I don't know. What time? Did you check the time when we topped out? I didn't, but it was at least, I don't know. It was a day climb. And yeah. I spent a lot of time route finding. So yeah. I take. Which is funny because I've done the route like six or seven times. And yeah. I still didn't really, I wasn't able to really tell you where to go. I know. I wish I'd look at the topo more. I know. You just were like, oh, he's done it a bunch. He'll know where to go. Yeah. And then she'd be like, well, so when I get up to there, then do I go left? I'm like, yeah, I think so. You'll see like, um, like a... Uh, I don't know. Is this the pitch where there's like a right fit? I was like completely, until right. I climbed it, I was like, oh yeah, that's it. And I don't know. It's weird because I, I think that I've climbed it enough times that like I've just, it's on autopilot. So I've sort of forgotten it. Right. But, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And I would just get to a ledge and pull out my iPhone and look yeah. at mountain project. <laughs> that's cool. So glad you had that. So um, I actually asked you to come in here. I've, I've been sort of tracking you for about a year. Um, since last, I think last summer when you were going to maybe be here for oh, the, right. the climbing exchange with the Iranian women. Yeah. 
And uh, one of the reasons is is because I don't know. I've I've known you sort of casually for a long time, and I just kind of keep up with what you do in terms of climbing. But also um, because you're one of the the rarest of all climbing species, which is the female alpinist. Right. You know, and. I feel as though, you know, maybe we should, I should be like talking in some sort of like, you know, the, the, the voiceover of some wildlife film, you <laughs> That's know, awesome. like, you know, like there, look at her. She's magnificent. You know, just no quiet. We have to be very still. Or she'll run away. Or she'll spook. <laughs> I mean, it, it does feel like that. And, and I get emails. Um, we talked about this, uh, about having more women on the show. Although I do pretty good with that considering that what the the real life ratio of climbing is but i you know i got uh an email from um i think it was seattle some 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 people in seattle or a woman in seattle that was like yeah you should have more female alpinists on and i mean i just chuckled because i i just started running through my mental list of female alpinists that i personally know and i was stumped but that's because i'm not an alpinist so i don't run in those circles but then i just started to even think about what that even means and you know i started scratching my head because you know and there's some names that came to mind but i just you know i just keep thinking of like a lot of times when you see hayden kennedy's presentations he just jokes about just like all these smelly men right. all these dudes like piled into these these snow caves and stuff so Anyway, so it was just kind of funny because I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll just run right out and, and find one, you know. And uh, and like I said, then I felt like I was on some sort of expedition, right. you know, <laughs> looking for like the, the you know, the three-toed newt of the Amazon or nice. something like that. So <laughs> not that you're a three-toed newt. Nevertheless, but so I'm excited and I want the women listeners out there to know and the female alpinists out there to know that this one is for you guys. <laughs> I have tracked one down. I chained her to the table in here because she's not super stoked to do this. But, <laughs> That's not um, true. Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, so I'll let you speak for yourself. So first of all, I started thinking about it in terms of also when someone said, yeah, well, get more female alpinists. Then I then it kind of made me start to think about what alpinists are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like I started thinking about what it was. Like I know it when I see it. I know who are alpinists, but I don't really have like a, a group of parameters around this, you know? Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, like how would you sort of define it? Because you do identify as a alpinist. Am I right? Yeah, I guess so. I think it's a funny term. I mean, I, I think you could equally be a mountaineer or an alpinist. And it seems like mountaineer, it's not cool to say that anymore. But I think just by, for me, by being an active climber and a mountain guide, I think that qualifies me to be an alpinist. Okay. <laughs> And yeah, I, I don't know. I think it is interesting. I guess anyone who wants to go into the mountains and climb with a rope potentially could be an alpinist slash mountaineer. Or I do think it's interesting that a lot of really, when a really excellent rock climber, and I think this happens a lot, it's a good model. You're really good at climbing and then you want to take it to the mountains mm -hmm. as opposed to this other group of people that want to be in the mountains and then they learn to rock climb after mm -hmm. sort of like there's those two worlds and then they they kind of cross in the middle i guess so in some ways i think i may be the latter i wish i was a better rock climber but i think just by default by being a mountain guide i have to spend too much time being like a mule so but um you also sp you also live in a place where you have like right this We're little blink of an eye That's climbing right. <laughs> season yeah um jen's from canmore uh alberta 
And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's got a ton of rock climbing around it, but you guys just don't get a chance to get out there that, that, no, you have that to long. be there on that exact day ready to go. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. if, if rock climbing was with golf, we'd have like a handicap. Like, sure. if, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, as you know, um, I've spent a lot of time up there in Camor. I used to back, back in the day. And, and, um, you know, I would, I would go up there in the summertime. Um, but of course I had been already, by the time I would get there in like middle of June when, you know, the frost was just starting to thaw off of things. I'd already been rock climbing for four months, you know, so I'd rock up and be in really good shape. And, and, uh, I, I always complained that it was really hard to find partners to do things up there. Um, but then I realized that, yeah, everybody was just shaking the cobwebs off still. And they, they weren't that interested in, you know, going out and climbing with this strange guy from Colorado. That's like all amped up and like calling them out of the blue. And, um, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. Um, I've actually talked Jen into tracking down a, a lost route that I put up uh, that has never been climbed but is ready to go. Yeah, psyched. So, and there's some other Canadians out there I've handed it to, and they've <laughs> not taken the flame and carried it. So if you're out there, she's going to do it this summer. <laughs> Am I right? I hope so. Okay, cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, so you're talking about coming into uh, you're talking about coming into alpinism. You said you're probably the latter, the person who liked to be in the mountains and then came to climbing or liked climbing mountains, then came to rock climbing. What were you getting at with that? I guess it. I think there's a sort of different skill sets you need to be a good alpinist. So you need your, I think you need your intro to mountaineering course, your crevasse rescue, your maybe some avalanche skills. I think it is good to learn about all about snow and ice. And then even if you are just a passionate rock climber who wants to climb rock in the mountains, at least you have some concept of these other hazards or things that you have to deal with, which that's the one thing I guess I see when I see these awesome rock climbers come into the mountains is, and, and that's happened to me where I've had really good climbers say, Hey, will you come with us on a trip? Cause we don't have those skills of maybe route finding through third class train or glacier travel or like crossing the Shrund, other things that you need to do to get to the rock. Sure. So. Well, that's, what's kept me out of Patagonia. Right. Um, but now I'm starting to hear all these stories that make it sound a lot more pleasant and, uh, there was a time when I could climb up some ice, so yeah. um, I could probably do it again. I'm sure you could put it together. Yeah. And and I think, like I was saying earlier, there's just there's lots of objectives in Patagonia that I don't actually think you need to be a, an alpinist for. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I and that's the thing is now that I see these, you know, these great striking rock climbs and dudes in climbing shoes with their chalk bags on. Like that is what's gotten me more interested in and climbing lycra. down there. And yeah. Lycra. Well, and. uh <laughs> But, you know, but then I think of, of the stuff that uh, you guys climb up in the Canadian Rockies. And that's when I'm thinking alpinism, that's what I'm thinking. You know, it's covered with snow and the cracks have ice in them. And it's maybe not super steep, but, you know, you're scraping away at it and it looks terrifying and dangerous and cold. Yeah. You know, those are the things for me, like when I think of alpinism, that's what I want to see, you know. Yeah. And And again, Hayden's... You're also friends with Hayden Kennedy. He's been on the show a bunch of times. And that kind of thing, what those guys do, where they're, you know, hitting these snow fields and then a rock band, then an ice runnel, then, you know, rhymed over rock and then maybe another snow field. And, you know, that's a lot of skills. Yeah. Knowing how how to find an anchor, if there is an anchor, different types of anchors, because mm-hmm. that's a big thing is basically there's no anchors. So mm-hmm. just figuring that out is a huge. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, it's interesting when going into the black Canyon, it's like, 
even that route where you had to put in your own, own acres is becoming like this rarefied thing in rock climbing. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. and I've never really bitched about it. You know, there's a lot of people who, who, who find that to be kind of like the sad decline of the sport. But lately I've, you know, when I do go down there and you're building anchors and everything else, and it's just like, wow, there is sort of this lost thing right. that's disappearing where there's, you know, if you don't, if you arrive at the blade and there's not two bolts to clip into, what are you going to do? Oh my right? God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, um, let me ask you then, we started to get into how you, you know, your sort of method to how you ended up in Alpinist, but what's your background like? What's your upbringing? How did you end up in the mountains to begin with? Well, mostly growing up, it was, I was based in Calgary and the, sort of my only access to the mountains was some camping and some alpine skiing with my folks. And then I think through a series of coincidences around the age of university, I, one, I met a girl who had worked for Outward Bound and she showed me some indoor rock climbing at the University of Calgary. And then shortly after that, I had this, I, what I think is kind of a cool serendipitous event where I was moving from Canmore. I had taken a summer job in Canmore and I was moving back to Calgary and I called a phone number and the person picked up the other end and was like mountain equipment co-op. And I'm like, oh shit, sorry, I've got the wrong number. I was looking for a place to live. And it was like, oh yeah, Simon posted that he needed a roommate. He filled it, but we need one. And the rent's 140 bucks a month. And I was like, oh, that the price is right. So I mm -hmm. went and checked it out and I ended up living with seven people in a house a few blocks from the university. And I had a major, I think I was in business because I was good at math. And then halfway through the semester, I switched into this program in the phys ed or kinesiology department called Outdoor Pursuits. And basically that's how I got into everything, which I think is a cool way to get into it as a girl, especially because a lot of girls get into it through their boyfriends. So right. for me, I got into it and right away, you know, say I had a five-day rock climbing, indoor rock climbing class uh, pretty early on in the semester. And in that class, I took a whipper on gear in the gym. We had this gym that you could place gear in and and take whippers on or whatever. Really? Yeah. It's kind of, I don't know. They probably don't allow that anymore, but, but just, that's just it. Like my first five days of ice climbing, I was placing ice screws and leading mm -hmm. or whatever. So right away I was leading and I had this group of people, female and males that I was going through school with. Maybe I think there were 16 of us and that we all did stuff together for like three to five years. Or uh -huh. whatever. So that was pretty cool. So this is your like college age, like 1920. What are mm -hmm. we talking? Maybe, yeah, maybe a smidge older, something right, like that. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and these people you ended up living with, were they rock climbers or climbers? They or? were all in outdoor pursuits. So, the, yeah, they were okay. either paddlers or climbers or mount. Like, they're all into those sports. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so, you know, did you just find yourself just taking to it right away? Or, like, were you just like, this is the thing that I'm going to get into? Or, you know, what was your impression of it? And how did it, you know, how did it, I guess go from that to sort of becoming your life, I guess. I mean, that's a long thing to talk about, but. But in some ways it's not because it just, I just kind of went with it. Right. Like at the whole time, it was never my plan that this mm -hmm. is sort of all that I would amount to because growing up, I never even knew what a climber or a mountain guide was. So I would never say to anyone, I want to be a mountain guide. And it wasn't almost until one of my last exams that I was like, I'm going to be a mountain guide. But all the whole time I've been like, oh, at some point I'm going to grow up and do something else, but right. I haven't. Well, so let me back up just a little bit. Like, what kind of kid were you? Yeah, shy, not very good at team sports. I did competitive swimming, running, gymnastics, and I was good at school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. 
and kind of nerdy, I think. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's that's, I mean, I get that all the time. Like the climbers come from someplace besides like the normal athletics, you know, way that are the way through school was for a lot of kids, athletics or whatever. And I don't know, so many climbers I know come from a different, different place than that. Yeah. And they become very athletic once they start climbing or maybe they always were in their own way, but they right. were never, a lot of them were not team sports people, right? you know, and not coming up through that sort of program. Yeah. Um, I think individuality is, is a big theme that runs through it as well. And a lot of times those team sports don't appeal to the, to the real sort of individual kind of minded people. So. Yeah. Not great hand-eye coordination. Right. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Paige Clausen, who was in here a few weeks ago or a couple, few months ago was, was, uh, yeah, same thing. She was, she said, I'm useless with a ball. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> but then you want to be cool. You're like, how do I be cool if I suck? <laughs> So, okay. So now you're in, you're in, you're, you're, you've gone through this whole degree. Did you get a degree in this, this, uh, well, partway sort of weird hippie roundabout (laughs) degree sounding thing? Yeah. No, because partly because some of the courses were really hard, but, um, partly because I started working for Outward Bound. You know what they do? (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But you know what they do with that stuff is they know there's people out there like me who are rolling their eyes at this, like, pretend degree and so then they like well we're gonna make it really hard and then that'll shut that guy up you yeah. know and then they use a word like kinesthesiology exactly yeah, and yeah. you're just like oh yeah we see right through that it's still <laughs> just sports dude <laughs> anyway so yeah you got screwed by that i bet right they, they try to like this is real <laughs> anyway go ahead i have an english degree what am i talking about <laughs> so a couple years into it I um, started working for Outward Bound and actually worked in Oregon <clears throat> mostly. And one thing was that they paid five more dollars a day if you had a bachelor's of education degree. Okay. So <laughs> for that five bucks a day, I changed my major. And also I was like, what am I going to do with a phys ed degree? And I don't want to be in school forever. So I just changed over to teaching and I did a math teaching degree. So I ended up getting a bachelor's of education. Bachelor's of education in a math emphasis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> you should have gone with phys ed. They don't have to grade anything. It's right. the biggest scam in the world. They get paid exactly the same amount as the math teachers and the English teachers, the science teachers, but they don't have to grade anything. But I don't. I can't throw a ball. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you don't have to. You just roll them out. Yeah, that's right. You just roll them out and the kids pick them up. And then you just blow the whistle and they put them away. Right. Nice. It's, it's the best job in the world. All right. So you work for Outward Bound. You have gotten this education degree so you can get five bucks a day more out of Outward Bound. I know. And what happens then? Well, I think one thing that happened is when I was in the States, all of a sudden these guiding opportunities started coming up. Like, do you want to be a guide for out of Smith Rocks or something? And, um, And quickly I was like, okay, well, I could stay down here and be a guide or then how will that translate when I go back to Canada? And it doesn't. So... To be a guide, to work as a guide in Canada, it makes a lot of sense to go through this guiding program. Mm-hmm. So I think I slowly started on that mm-hmm. while trying out teaching. So I did some cool teaching jobs where, one, I taught ecology field trips um, for the university. So, And I like teaching science more than math because the door closes when you talk about math. So, 
Yeah, I taught. I taught for you a year. You were a student. You were a student. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. So I taught for a year and a half, and then I I just had a, some really. Basically, I I got into kind of a bad teaching situation that wasn't very fun, and um, so I quit that and cooked in a ski lodge <laughs> and this sounds random but anyways at the ski lodge I thought oh being a ski guide is a pretty cool job so mm-hmm. then that pushed me back towards guiding and I think at that point I'd already done my rock guide so so then I started going down the guiding road okay so at this point what kind of climber were you a I rock mean, climber and a nice climber okay and like I mean I guess just by default have, having done that program I was always a pretty well-rounded climber cuz okay. you know I took all the courses like intro to mountaineering rock and ice on your day of like it's my day off I'm going climbing what were you going to do either multi-pitch routes or cragging so okay. yeah and I did both trad and sport cragging I guess in the Camor area, there's mostly limestone, except for the quartzite at the back of the lake. So that's mostly what you do. And right. then whenever I go on road trips, I tend to go to granite. You know, there's bolted climbing and there's sport climbing, and they're not always the same thing. And I know that, right. you know, while a lot of bolts get used up in that area, there's not. it's not necessarily are you clipping up these sport routes all the time. You know, it's like mixed and trad and placing right. gear. and The and, back uh, of the lake especially. Yeah. But generally in limestone, except for on Yamnuska. Like the, a lot of the cragging is bolted. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So now you are what you would just have said you were an ice climber and a rock climber. And then you decide to get your guiding certificate or what do you call it up there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you, <laughs> and um, you know, it's kind of a more of a European style thing than what we do in the States. Is that right? To become a guide or now that the AMGA is doing sort of the same thing down here. Is that right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my information is that right. the AMGA, when they took on wanting to be what they're doing, they modeled it after our system. Okay. So I think we're pretty similar. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, coming from when I was guiding, which was a long time ago at this point, at least when I started, there was no certification mm-hmm. process in the U.S. Like the AMGA was was there, but um, they hadn't really sort of fleshed out what they were going to do. And, and right. most most of the companies in the States – mine included were sort of you know hanging up the phone right. when they would call yeah. because they're like well we've kind of been doing our own thing now for the last 25 years and mm-hmm. everything's going well for us so you know you want us to pay you right to certify us you know there was kind of this like thanks but no thanks yeah like okay <laughs> great well yeah we'll we'll call you back about that we'll get you we'll get you right involved i mean i think up in the northwest it was the same kind of feel like some of these companies that were really old and had been doing it for a while weren't super receptive at first, but I mean, what, what did you have to go through to become a guide? Well, on average in Canada, it takes an average of six years and you have to do, you know, your assistant and full level in rock climbing, summer mountaineering, ice climbing and winter ski mountaineering. Okay. And in that six years, as you're going through all these exams, are you able to, to work at some level while you're you're kind of climbing up the ladder? Yeah, I think so. I think it depends on the individual. It's mm-hmm, not, it's definitely, mm-hmm. there's nothing set up. You have to be pretty resourceful. Like I did a lot of, um, I chose to work as a, a technician for the University of Calgary's avalanches program or a, a tail guide in a ski industry type job. Um, the more guides there are, the less of those types of positions there are. They start going to certified guides. Sure. Unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think if you're, you work hard to meet people, you can find 
these types of positions. Unfortunately, more and more people want you to work for free, but yeah. Right. Ski, ski patrol is one way that they recommend. Mm -hmm. I could felt like I could never afford to be a ski patroller. <laughs> so you don't get paid very much. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all, all that stuff, whether it's guiding, climbing or, you know, ski patrolling, they can, you know, they can find people that will do it for right. very little money. Cause you're living the dream, yeah. you know? And, when you just said that it takes six years on average to become this fully licensed guide, yeah, you know that's that's kind of astounding. Yeah, like I mean, imagine what kind of money you could get out of putting you know putting that time into a, some sort of financial degree or lawyer in or right. something like that. Right, but becoming that. a guide is the best part, I think. You you meet all these cool people, you learn mm -hmm. all these cool skills, you go to all these cool places, and you can somehow justify it to yourself and the world by saying. I'm becoming something. Right. You know, and right. so that in some ways that's the best part. And you, I wrote it down, you <laughs> were the seventh fully accredited female guide in Canada. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And you're, it, you have an international certification, so right. you can guide in Europe mm -hmm. as if you were Swiss. <laughs> as if. As if. <laughs> you can abuse. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. What were you going to say? No, I I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> you, you can, can abuse, you can your, abuse clients your clients like you're Swiss. Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that this is, uh, for me, it would be easy. For you, I think it is impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, well, that's cool. So, and you, and I was joking, and I asked you earlier, I said, yeah, so do you know all the, uh, all six that were before you? And you said, yes, I do. So, of course. Yeah. And you said now there's another one. Yeah. So there's eight. There's eight. There's eight. And that there will be a couple more soon. So we could possibly get all, all every single internationally certified female guide in this closet right now if we had to. Yep. And actually have a little bit of room to spare. Yeah, we wouldn't even have to touch skin. That's pretty amazing. That's just how big this closet is. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it actually sort of speaks to kind of that theme that I was sort of going with is that here I've 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 captured in the wild a female alpinist, <laughs> and you know that really says a lot that there's there's eight of y'all in terms of guide in all of Canada. Now, as we learned on the last show, there's only 35 million people in Canada <laughs> right. to begin with. So let's just say, but I mean, I don't. Do you know what kind of uh, competition you have here in the U.S.? I don't know the numbers, but right. I do know. I know there's more, but I know mm -hmm. most. Of, like I know, I feel like I know most of them. Most of them as yeah. well. Yeah, like there's, there's still probably less than twenty. There should be like some convention. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Now, what about what's your feel for the ratio? And let's just stay with guiding mm -hmm. in terms of the ratio in Europe. Is it similar or or the? I have the impression there are more, but at the same time, I think about going over there to the climb, and I'm like, it's still like. Dude, Landia. Yeah, no, know? for sure. I think probably if you look at the numbers, potentially they say there's a hundred or something. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually over there working in the mountains, you don't see them. Right. Like, and, and you're definitely still a rare beast. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that was your word. Not mine. Um, but you were also telling me that that you don't think that a lot of these, uh, a lot of your compatriots really work in the mountains anymore, or Right. Did. I don't, there's just not that many, like if you said to me, what woman mountain guide is working full time in the mountains? Mm -hmm. 
Like I could only think of a couple or okay. whatever. I don't. Yeah. And I, and I, there is one woman that was maybe the first guide ever. And once I stumbled across her and she worked a lot and, um, I don't think I remember her name right now, but she had a lot of kids too, which always kind of blew my mind. Right. She was, um, British and maybe certified in the New Zealand system. And uh-huh. anyways, I, it always just kind of blew my mind to know that that existed, but that is definitely rare. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, um, how long ago did you become the seventh certified international mountain guide? Five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. And you're 41. Is that what you said? Okay. Sorry. Am I not supposed to say that? I can edit that out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I see. There's things, there are things about women that are different than men. It's just the way it is. Well, it's the kind of thing that I, gen- so I like, do bring up, but, right. <laughs> but then I regret it. <laughs> Because like most dudes are like, yeah, whatever. They don't yeah. they don't worry about it. It's like it's one of those sort of stereotypical things. Anyway, so you got all the way to thirty five. Um, you also had told me that you tried some other things, right. like uh, be, being an air traffic controller for one. Yeah, so it took me nine years to become certified as a mountain guide because mm-hmm. for a couple of those years, I I had some clients and they were like, yeah, we make tons of money and we hardly work. And I'm like, what do you do? They're like, We're air traffic controllers, and they work in the Vancouver Harbor Tower, which is probably the most beautiful air traffic control tower in the world. And I went and visited them and there's the ocean and the mountains and Mm -hmm. in downtown Vancouver. So I was like, okay, sign me up. So I jumped through all the hoops, which is actually like kind of hard. Like you have to take an aptitude test and interview and stuff. And then it's kind of cool because the, in Canada, it's all pretty um, well supported to go through that. So I did that for a year and I worked up in the Northwest Territories. And it was a great job and a good lifestyle. But then I realized you don't get to choose where you live. And I wouldn't be able to live anywhere there was climbing for 18 to 24 years. And I didn't figure that out till I was into it. So so you were in some like just podunk town in There's... one of the three territories in Canada <laughs> yeah. that I learned about last show. 700 residents. 700 residents. No road. No road to the town. Right. Only, Only... water and air access. Right. And Mount, there were mountains there. And there were mountains, yeah, yeah. but they're probably just big hills, right? Yeah, but yeah. there was some ice climbing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. And there, <laughs> I'm sure there was a huge climbing community as well. So, how long were you there? Uh, six months. And what did you do? Like, I worked and worked? I cross country skied and I hiked and I ice climbed and, yeah. Did you drink a lot? <laughs> no, I worked a second job so I could have a social life. I waitressed. Okay. okay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And I trained a little bit. I got into CrossFit. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So that didn't last. <laughs> no. Because no. then I realized that it wasn't going to just be a couple of years. It was going to be 20. Then I was like, okay, back to guiding until I right. figure out the next thing. Right. And so really what you're, you know, and it, I read about so, some other interviews that you've done and, and, you know, you, you have this concern and I think any sort of smart climber does about, you know, the future of it and sustaining it and growing old and as you, I think, put being, you know, old and broke. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to do with sort of losing your love for the mountains or anything like that. Yeah, no, which I do get criticized a lot for. You know, people are like, oh, you don't know what you want. You're unfocused or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, yeah, I felt like that harmed me a little bit when I decided to finish my mountain guides exams. They were like, oh, we're not sure you really want this, you know. Really? So, yeah. But that's okay. I, I was like, yeah, I do. And I showed up again and did it jump that hoop again and yeah. sure yeah they can't they can't like do can they like 
psychologically evaluate you and then fail you despite the fact that you can set up your five to one in two minutes or whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of subjective evaluation, I really? think. Yeah. And I, th I think especially on your last exam, there's a little bit of like, are you worthy to be in our club or not? So. You know what? <laughs> That's exactly what I remember. Yeah. And again, like when the, I, I, I'm not going to go off on the AMGA because <laughs> they have become something much beyond what they were when I was guiding. But boy, having one of those guys show up and uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. All right. So you managed to get around that though, obviously, mm -hmm. and become a guide. So right now you are uh, making a living as a, as a guide and something of a pro climber. Um, you, you're sort of cobbling a few other things together. And as a pro climber, you're doing, um, you've, lately anyway been doing um competitions right yeah ice climbing competitions yeah. which until this evening when i got on to <laughs> my ipad and started looking at what ice climbing competitions look like right i had no concept of what those were <laughs> yeah okay i imagine they were on ice mm -hmm. i think that i think Not, that no <laughs> No one could fault me for imagining that there was some way in which they created an ice climb that you guys would climb, but they're not. No. You climb on holds. Yeah. Like plastic holds. Plastic, granite. Yeah. Okay. They do s seem to like to drape there is some ice, ice around <laughs> yeah. the competition. Ideally, thing, if the temperatures right? are below zero. All right. So how'd you get into that? Um, well, I guess it started with coming to your ray. And Festiglass and Bozeman. So, okay, in Uray, yeah. originally they had people climbing ice. Oh, yeah. But this year, and maybe was it last year too, they've stuck a thing on top of it? Yeah, for a few years now there's been different variations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, keep going. So, yeah, I think initially from just these more fun, like the most fun competition definitely was like Bozeman and Festiglass where you could climb as much as you wanted or as much as you could in X amount of time, as opposed to this sort of like your climb might last 30 seconds if you're a bonehead and you fall off really quickly, which is more the style of URA and the World Cup. Um, so just by doing that kind of stuff, and I think just by default being a climber from Camor, you end up being an ice climber because sure. we have winter about nine months a year. So um, then... No, and you have like amazing ice climbing. Yeah. I mean... I was looking again at the pictures, and um, I have this history in the Ghost River as a rock climber, but it's it's always been more famous as an ice climbing area. And I was looking at the pictures, and it makes like Colorado ice climbing just look like a joke. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, and it's reliable. Like sure. we don't, you don't ever have to be like, is there going to be ice? Right. It's like no, there's ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's probably in some ways a little. The consistency may even may even make it a little safer. In terms of ice climbs, at least around this local area, they fall down and right. reform like several times a winter. Yeah, we don't have that. No, it looks like those <laughs> those babies come in and stay there until the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. So, so anyway, so you're saying that you're an ice climber by default, living in Camor. Yeah, certainly. It'd yeah. be like you'd have to be a sport climber if you lived in Spain. Yeah, you know. So yeah, certainly. So then. Um, I guess you're like, okay, I, now I've been doing this on and off for a few years. Maybe I should actually put a little effort into trying to be better at it. So I started training a bit. And then I met some friends of mine who are training for World Cup. They're like, wow, you're actually doing pretty good. Maybe you might, you know, you might consider coming to World Cup with us. And um, 
I just happened to already have a trip going to Europe in the winter for this international climbers meet in Scotland, which is a super cool event. And I was like, oh, yeah, that would be really easy for me to try out one of these World Cup comps um, off of that trip. Like the flights would be cheap or whatever. So um, so I went and did the Sosfe comp just before I went to Scotland. Mm -hmm. And I was actually also going to do the French one after um, Scotland, but then I broke my back. So <laughs> anyways, um, Which we'll get to, yeah. So that, so that was a cool experience. Um, and it kind of made me think, okay, maybe I want to try and train for this. So then, um, this last fall, I decided not to go on my U S road trip and I stayed home and I trained for world cup and did some fundraising and, and I went to three of the five competitions. Mm -hmm. How'd you fare? Um, I didn't, um, I didn't perform very well. In fact, <laughs> I did better in Sosfe the year before without training than I did in all three of my competitions with training. So that's a really unfortunate because I, you know, request, I got a lot of money and support and stuff sure. and I didn't perform, but I was, I'm way stronger. And so that's, so personally for me, it's really rewarding to have trained and to be way stronger. And I know I can do way better. So I'll probably do it again. Okay. And um, so that hopefully I can, it can come out in the actual numbers of the performance. Do you know what went wrong? Um, I think every time, like the first time it was um, in Korea, I actually probably ended up being my best performance, which I think was about 60% mm -hmm. of my best. And I think that was nerves. And I ended up being in isolation for like five hours. And so it was, I didn't feel like I shut down enough in isolation. So I think that was one thing. Um, I used up too much energy while I was mm -hmm. sitting there watching everyone. On, in Sosfe, it was cool because this Russian girl that's way better than me, she came off and she's like, oh, I've got to remember that I'm strong. You know, I've got to remember that I can dino or I can make strong moves instead of always trying to conserve. And I feel like I made the same kind of error, but in a different way where I chose not to take the hold straight on. I was trying to be tricky with how I took the hold. And instead of just being like, I'm strong enough to take this hold straight on. So that right. was one thing. And then the last one, I got just really unlucky and I chose an ice hook. I tested it. It seemed okay. And um, this is in like <laughs> 10 feet above the ground. And it, as I pulled up on it, it broke and I fell. Uh -huh. And um, it was awesome, like just how that was so unlucky because I had just chosen to clip the second, first and second draw. I almost forgot to clip the first draw because I was on ice. And then the people were like, clip, clip. And I was like, oh, yeah. So then I clipped the first. you'll get disqualified if you don't, right? Right. Yeah. And then I clipped the first and second draw at the same time, which is kind of a bonehead move because if you fall after clipping the second draw, it doesn't matter. Whereas if you fall after clipping the first draw, I think you get another chance. Oh. So anyways, I clipped the second, first and second together, and then I broke this hold, fell off, and that was it. And I was like, wow, that was like $10,000 of fundraising and three months of training and oh, whatever. It's just, yeah. Yeah, was, but – I mean, that's the way it goes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. it's yeah. And that's what's awesome. It gave me a whole new respect for competition climbers. Mm -hmm. Like the people that are doing the best at this stuff there, I think they probably compete in bouldering and sport climbing. They're really good athletes and they're really consistent with their performances. Well, the reason I asked you what went wrong is because I was wondering about that aspect of it, of regardless of how strong you got yourself, you, you're not coming from a competition background. Right. Yeah. And so what you just said really makes sense to me if you know for them if it's a year-round thing and they've been doing it particularly most of them since they were really young you know sitting in isolation in the the mental game of it's they have that on lock mm -hmm. and so then it really does default to how good a climber they are or how strong they are right for you it's probably the total opposite mountain to climb you you've got 
all that other stuff on lock, but now you've got this mental game that you've you've probably never done. Right. And I do, I do feel like I, like I do have a lot of things about like trying to get myself to relax or be in the moment. Like, I don't think I'm an especially anxious person, Mm -hmm. but there's still, there's just a zillion things to it. There's just a lot. I think it's just also just being, having done it a lot, Mm -hmm. like just being in that environment Mm -hmm. a lot and not letting it sort of being mellow in that environment. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask, I'm going to bring this quote up then because I think it fits in here. Um, reading this, you you said to to another uh, interview that psychologically I am trying to constantly give myself pep talks about being worthy and equal to other athletes, and you told me that that was somewhat specific to competition, and it's interesting because you, you know, one of the things you just said a couple times was that there went the ten thousand dollars, and not that the money was important, but this the money came with this sort of faith that maybe these people had in you or, or right. the sponsors or anything else. You know, and those things, I mean, that even says to me that there's, even if that's churning around in there, you know, and again, these other, these, these real professional competitors have had a lifetime of you win some and you lose some. And yet you're here and that, that, I mean, that must have been a weight on your shoulders as well as thinking of like, these people have this faith in me and, and here I go, you know. Um, but what, what, what were you getting at with that quote, you know, when you're saying like, am I equal or better or the pep talks or that sort of thing? Well, in that specific instance, it was definitely related to competition. I think I don't have a body type of someone who's a sport climber. Like I, you know, I'm always high body fat and always sort of like this bigger girl. Most of the competitors in the sport are ectomorphs and they're tall, skinny people. So Mm -hmm. I don't look like that. And Mm -hmm. also too, I think in general in climbing, that's something that I've always been like, like, I think there's things I'm good at in climbing and I love it, but I always, when I look at myself physically compared to other people, mm-hmm. um, I just think, oh, I'm, I don't fit in and I don't fit this mold. And so I'm always having to sort of like, even though I love it and I have dedicated my life to it, I'm always having to tell myself that I'm worthy of it, even though I don't look like, I don't get mm-hmm. to look like people who are really good at it. Like, sure. I feel like all the time if I approach someone about in a climbing area or something, I feel like I get this look like. Are you a climber? Like you don't look like a climber or sure. something. So, um, yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Well, it's interesting that you've crossed over into a discipline, like you just said, competition climbing. Um, I think you're also, from talking to you these last few days, are doing more pier rock climbing lately, um, looking at doing harder climbs. You know, but specifically with the competition climbing, it's like you've you've definitely imposed yourself into this world like you said where maybe that is quite a bit more important when i think of alpinism i don't think of that as being hugely important and maybe it's an asset to be the other type of body right especially you know if we wanted to get into talking about like big expedition kind of climbing yeah you know arriving at the base of 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 a a two-month expedition you know strong not totally skinny is not at all a detriment you know right. what I mean? So it's like you, it's like you put yourself into this this new position that maybe is like messing with some of your demons or or what? Mm, I I think I've always had them, but okay. I and maybe the way I'm dealing with them is by <laughs> trying to train and be a stronger climber and mm-hmm. who knows, maybe I'll never maybe my body type will never change, which is fine, but I really enjoy being a stronger climber. So it gives me an opportunity to work on that. All right. Well, another thing about that quote and the reason I like zoomed in on it when I when I saw it is that climbers in general 
a, a lot of climbers that are coming up through the sport. Um, but also I think that this applies to female climbers. When you, you mentioned earlier about the one thing that was interesting about you is that you didn't get in, into it through your boyfriend. Right. And, and the reason you brought that up is because, yeah, that is pretty typical. Mm -hmm. um, and it's unusual a lot of times to go some other route. And, you know, I always use this phrase. It's not mine. You know, it's from sort of sociology or whatever, this idea of a reference group. And the reference group is the people around you with, with whom you're sort of, in a lot of ways, forced to identify, you know. And thinking about Canmore, thinking about a really strong climbing scene, whether you're a guy or a girl, is like a really difficult reference group, you know. Take, take an ice climber who's, who's, you know, pretty much a piece of shit that lives in Canmore and put him here. You know, and there's right. these handful of little icicles that yeah. are around here. They're going to be badass because, once again, their reference group becomes not so strong. Yeah. And big you fish. Rise, yeah, the big fish, right? <laughs> right? And so you're up in a place like Canmore. I know from being there and I know from being in towns like that and living in one now that climbing is always has subtle competition in it, mm -hmm. you know, for first ascents or for who's doing the raddest stuff or who's the who's the gnarliest. So. You know, what's it like for you living in a town like that? It's got to be, I would say it's got to be a balance between inspiration and sometimes maybe feeling like, how am I ever going to be a great climber around all these other people? I definitely, for me, being an alpinist in Camera, I almost feel like most of my friends who are the male alpinists in Camera don't see me as an alpinist in Camera because <laughs> they're just, I think they all, even though I learned to climb with them or did a lot of the, we have the same upbringing and have done a lot of the same stuff. I don't feel like I'm an equal with them and I haven't done generally. Yeah. I generally, I haven't done as much stuff as them, but I've had the same sort of upbringing, mm -hmm. but they generally, for the most part, all the men just climb with other men. And so I think it's great when the few female partners I've had that have been also mountain guides and or alpine guides and that we get to go do stuff together. That's an awesome experience. But then um, there's only a couple of them and then they get pregnant or, you know, whatever this should happen. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, people get out of it for all sorts of reasons, but that's obviously, uh, you know, again, talking about gender, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, although I think there's both sides to it. I think like on one hand, I have great, if I do get to go climbing with people, like I've climbed with Barry Blanchard and, and Raphael Slowinski and like Raphael still will, is available to climb with me. Um, there's still definitely like some really great people that will climb with me. So that's super cool. Right. And so that part of it is awesome. And then it's just, but you know, I, and I think too, for me, it's like being like, okay, I have these goals. How can I make them happen? As opposed to sort of waiting for someone to call me and ask me to go do something cool sure. <laughs> or whatever. So I think there's always two sides to it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, there, I guess part of my mission on this interview is, is kind of getting at like what makes you different and not just different from other women, but different as, as someone who's pursued again and again and again, pursued it on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And the thing I've, again, I've gotten to know you in the last few days, you've told me a lot about that, like being focused and having to have these sort of missions that you go on, even if you have to go on them by yourself. Right. You know, so. But I think I'm just learning that. Like, I actually think, I almost wished I had learned that 10 years ago or okay. whatever. Because I, there are things that over the years I've been like, I want to do that. And then I'm like, oh, maybe it's too hard or maybe no one will do it with me or whatever. So especially in terms of alpinism in the Canadian Rockies, I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that I sort of want to do and I haven't. And so I think, 
part of it nowadays I feel like is that I I get a little bit burnt out because I'm a mountain guide. So I actually think if I got away from mountain guiding, I'd be more motivated on those mm-hmm, objectives. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. um and then and then and then realizing like who do I need to go do this with? Like I think I've always sought out people that are stronger than me to go do stuff with. And mm-hmm. so maybe there have been some people over the years that are weaker than me that have asked me to go do things and I haven't mostly taken them up on it. So maybe that's something I need to start thinking about right. more or whatever. I think that when you have these pillars in the community, um, you mentioned a couple of them earlier. Uh, like I've always wondered about that in terms of like there is a great thing about having them around and being like, wow, they're the, they're the greatest. But a lot of times, yeah, I think it almost you almost like psych yourself out like they're they're too good. You know, I'll never be like them. And whatever they're doing is not for me. Mm-hmm. And I have to like muddle around here on these routes because those are the ones for the, for those guys, you know, and we've talked about it on this show many, many times is that, I mean, that's one of the things that makes the greats great is they have the vision to sort of break through that. Mm-hmm. And it's a really difficult thing to do. And, 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 you know, the, the couple names that you brought up, I, I'm aware of, you know, how rad those guys are and have been for so long, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, I mean, it's a difficult thing to just be like, I can do just what they're doing. To make that mental leap has got to be really rough. You know, you should move to to, to Redstone. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Try to be you a would, big fish. Yeah, you'd be worshipped down here, <laughs> right. for sure. <laughs> it'd be tough. It'd be tough. You'd get bored, but you'd be worshipped, so it'd be fine. <laughs> um, I did want to get into this accident that you just oh, right. had a, about a year and a half ago or two years ago. Yeah, end of January last year, so a year and a half. Okay, so yeah. tell, me, tell me about that because I want to sort of fit that whole thing into this uh, progression that we found you on. I feel like I always want to preface this with... And I think this is luck as much as skill. Or actually, I think it's more luck than skill. But it's my first accident in 20 years of climbing because okay. oftentimes, like recently, I met a potential client and somehow in conversation, it came up quite early that I had recently broken my back. And right away, he was horrified that it was through a climbing accident. And, uh-huh. and um, I, I'm, I think one, I think I'm durable, I'm cautious, and I think I'm lucky. So I, I think... Yeah, accidents happen, but um, I feel really fortunate. And also, I think even within this accident, I was super lucky that it wasn't worse. Um, but basically, I was climbing in Scotland. I had an amazing week. I loved the client, the style of climbing there. It's like mixed trad climbing. I got to climb with really inspiring partners. And on the very last day, we had the best weather of the whole trip. And I got to climb with another woman, which was my first day climbing with a woman. Best weather. I was pretty wasted, and I was aware of that. Um, but we were going to climb a route that wasn't tired. Yeah, tired, wasted. Okay, good. Yeah. We're talking about Scotland, though, <laughs> yeah, so right. we got, we do have to make that That's distinction. Point, yeah. Okay. We anyway, didn't, go ahead. We didn't get to visit the <laughs> distillery, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So I was exhausted, but it was a great day, beautiful weather, and a great partner opportunity. So we went to do something that wasn't like at our limit at all, and the quarry was really busy that day, and. It just so happened that the whole International Climbers Meet was being filmed, and on this day they decided to film us. Um, so maybe one day this film will come out. But really, yeah. Wow. So um, my partner led the first pitch, and then I started up the second pitch. And um, basically, the second pitch was sort of what made the climb really cool looking, and it, part of it was a hand crack. And uh, as I was getting up to the hand crack, all of a sudden I realized like how am I going to climb a hand crack with ice tools? <laughs> like, this is weird. <laughs> and 
I know someone had said to me, oh, you got to torque your ice tool or whatever. And But there was all these nice sort of like seams going up slightly to the left. So I was drawn to the seams and I was kind of like, well, I'll, I'll try and climb the hand crack. But if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm just going to go off left and climb these seams. And as I'm coming up, one cool thing I learned there is how to hammer in nuts and hexes. So I was hammering my nuts and hexes in and then, but I was working with a parallel crack for part of it and that wasn't ideal. And uh, so I stuck in one nut, hammered it in, and then I stuck in a cam, which I knew wasn't ideal because the there's a bit of frost on the rock. And um, and then I got to a ledge where I was like, okay, yeah, now I'm going to get a better piece in. And basically I had a lot of fair bit of weight on my feet, so I wasn't gripping onto my ice tool so much and um one of my ice tools that was in the hand crack popped then my feet i wobbled off my feet and then i was left hanging on one ice axe but i wasn't really gripping it and so basically i had to let go and i ripped two pieces in that were both in the parallel side of crack and as a result i hit a ledge with my back and then i my feet flipped over my head and i went a little bit further and so when i hit the ledge i fractured um a vertebrae between my um, shoulder blades, and then I got a compression fracture as well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I was like in a lot of pain, but my friend was like, well, I've been having back spasms lately. So I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it's just back spasms. So I took – luckily, I didn't normally carry codeine, but I highly recommend it. So I ended up taking two codeines, um, and then after an hour, I could kind of start to move. But I was just kind of paralyzed with pain for a while, and in the meantime, people rallied and got – uh, helicopter and okay i was gonna say did you like i was gonna ask if it was one of those where you like went home and like had a drink and <laughs> right you know lay down almost, and you're just like yeah it's no big deal and then like i probably could have actually though because right. um by the time i was lowered to the ground i was like where do you want me to walk because sure. the helicopter coming in was huge it mm-hmm. wasn't um a small one and i knew i should get away from the cliff but Luckily, I guess the people there were like, oh, you should just lie down in this litter and chill out. And sure. um, yeah, because appa- I guess par- apparently I, c- you know, you could you could have I was like, well, if I don't feel any pain, I'm probably fine. But anyways, then I I got flown to this hospital and found out I had fractured vertebrae and blah, blah, blah. So. Mm-hmm. But um, super like if you wrecked your ankle and tore soft tissue, it would be worse than my injury. Like oh, okay. I had really stable fractures. Um, I was off painkillers within a few days. Um, I just had to lie on my back for a little bit. I was riding a bike within two weeks, I think. I guided a nice climb um, eight weeks. Oh, after. wow. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, but it messed with your head a bit. It did, yeah. So during that downtime, that very sure. short amount of downtime of a couple of months, which I don't do well with, mm-hmm. I definitely, yeah, I, I mean, like, I turned 40. I was like, fuck, I, I, um, I'm single. I don't have kids. Basically, my whole life's been a waste of time. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> now you're on the normal cast. Everything's yeah, fine. Yeah, Everything right. is fine. Okay? It's just fine. Yeah. So I guess it gave me some time to be sad about that and try to come to terms with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> uh, I think I still struggle with it on a daily sure, basis. Sure. But yeah, I think it's a process. It's not... I don't know. I always think I don't want to sound like I walk through my life feeling sorry for myself because I know I have an amazing life and mm-hmm. I've chosen to be who I am. Mm-hmm. But it just it wasn't the model that was put in my brain from an early age. And I'm quite I think I'm quite a maternal person. So but that's cool. I get to exercise that on my friends, kids, and I get to climb as much as I want. So, right. yeah. Thanks. All right. Last thing, then we're going to wrap it up with, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of silly, but I'm going to do it anyway. But again, I've had fans wanting to hear about this stuff. So you, I think, are fairly humble 
again, going back to that quote, you have this, you know, idea of living up to expectations and wanting to kind of like fit into this, am I as good as these guys and as good as those girls and blah, blah, blah. But I think you've, you know, made a successful career out of it. You're able to travel the world, climb all sorts of amazing things. We didn't get into some of your expeditions. You've been to Pakistan, you've been to Alaska, you've been to Nepal, you've climbed all over Canada, you've climbed all over the U.S. So these women out there who are wanting to pursue this, I mean, what is your sort of like little piece of advice? Like as they're running up against maybe some of these uh, roadblocks or whatever, or or whether it's coming internally or externally, you know, what, what do you have to say to them? Well, I guess try not to be limited by thinking that you shouldn't be able to do something because you're female, because there's lots of strengths that females have that males don't have, vice versa. And I think it's great to find leadership opportunities. So sometimes for me, whether it's I'm with my boyfriend or just a stronger partner, male or female, I don't, I might not, I might default to a less of a leadership role. Mm-hmm. So I think finding opportunity to find leadership roles. So that's why lo- I pretended not to know how to get up. Yeah, the, nice. Uh, the, uh, the scenic cruise. I I had it, it unlocked. <laughs> nice. Hundred percent. I'm like, I'll let her go up and root fine though. For an hour. For an hour. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. By yeah, the way. I but, had no idea what, what you were getting into up there. It's like I I think it goes left. <laughs> um, I think a lot of women find it great to take some courses in all women environments, or just to take courses with other boyfriends. So, um, like there's rock climbing or ice climbing courses, chicks with picks. Um. So, or to have a female guide, I think can be helpful so that you can see a strong female role model and, and then to find opportunities to get out with someone of equal ability, male or female, but just to put yourself in a leadership role. Cause I think that's in general, women will tend to just let someone else take the lead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'll kind of balance that by saying some of those things, especially what you just said about climbing with someone of equal ability and putting yourself in a leadership role is, I mean, that's advice for anybody who totally. wants to become not necessarily a better climber in terms of stronger, you know, ticking numbers. But if you want to become one of those people who are just versed and ready in the mountains, no matter what happens. And those are in the end, the climbers that I think we ultimately admire. Those are, that's super important. It's tough to do though. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, like it's not um, – they're not a dime a dozen. Sure. <laughs> like we said, we could fit them all in the closet right. right now. Yeah. Well, cool. Jan, you have anything else you want to tell us about? I started working with Mountain Equipment Co-op this year, and they're a great brand in Canada and sponsor, so I'm psyched about okay. that. And I said I would mention them. <laughs> and um, I think you're a great host. It's been fun to come to Colorado, and um, and you've been awesome. So I think you're a great host on the show and in real life. Cool. All right. Well, thanks. I'm glad you came down. And uh, it's always, you know, it's always my pleasure to give a tour of my favorite climbing area down there in the black. So um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, MEC is great. I spent a lot of time up there in Calgary uh, buying Bolt for the most part. Yeah. And they have cool hip clothes now. (laughs) That's my favorite part. (laughs) Nice, Canada. Way to go, Canada. All right. Thanks, Jen. All right. Thanks for listening. After that interview was over, I gently released her back into the wild where she's able to roam free. Based on the tracking device that I stapled behind her ear, I think she went back to the Black Canyon, actually. So 
If you'd like to help out with this program, help it keep going, help it gain fans, go to the website, enormacast.com, and click on the Help Out tab to find out what you can do. Also, remember to send in your emails, chris at enormacast.com. Send in your Black Diamond... uh, What was it? The Black Diamond Power Nuggets. Eh, I don't know. We'll see. It's like three L caps stacked on top of one another. Okay, folks, summertime is upon us. So remember, do what you got to do to be safe out there. And the first thing is, check your knot. This is where the DJ talks. Don't say anything. Okay. Good day and welcome to our single. I'm Bob McKenzie and this is my brother Doug. How's it going, eh? Beauty, eh? Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay, Okay, everyone. This record was my idea. Get out! It was. You're lying. Eating hose hit here just sort of rid on my coattails. Why are you doing this? It was our idea together, eh? Yeah, okay. Okay. We agreed to to say that, but take off. Saying, eh? Yeah, yeah, he's good. Okay, so good day. Our topic today is music. That's right, like because my brother and I are now experts in the field. Yeah, eh? right, because we're a band now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, so. except for him, I'm a band. Oh, how can you do that? You're making me look bad. You're such a hose hand. Yeah, well, take off. It's a drum solo. Okay, everyone, like, this is me on the drums, Oh, eh? get out. It is not. It is so. Stop I learn, will you? Take off, eh? Oh, take off to the great white love. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off. Beauty, Like magic, eh? It's coming in. Well, that's like, it's like it was sung by angels. for today so good day good day hey you guys what take off hey no hey don't go no come back hey look what you did everybody's gone you see you come back i won't let him do it again my fault was yeah your fault you're such a hoser there's no way i'll ever do another record with you hoser okay that's fine i'll do a solo album fine and you'll be looking for me like on another label now everybody's gone good day good day so like take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Jeez. Take off, <laughs> you hosers. Hey, Getty, we'd like to thank you for coming on uh, the album and singing on the hit single. Well, it was my pleasure, eh? Like, I wish you guys, like, lots of success and everything. <laughs> beauty. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot, eh? Oh, That's great. You're welcome.